This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Uh, hi there, my name's Brian Brown and uh, I'm an actor. I'm an author now. But anyway, my favourite film, it's Apocalypse Now. Brian Brown is an icon of Australian film, an actor and producer with a string of classic films over the last 40 years or so. The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, Newsfront, Breaker Morant, Winter of Our Dreams, Palm Beach, both of them. Give my regards to Broad Street with Paul McCartney, Cocktail, Two Hands, Australia, Australia Day, and in 1979, the Vietnam War movie, The Odd Angry Shot. Apocalypse Now is a 1979 Vietnam War movie directed by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall and a cast of thousands. It's a Vietnam War epic with some of the most famous scenes and lines in film history and concerns an army captain sent upriver during the war on a special mission to kill a US Army colonel who has gone rogue and is living in the jungle with a private army of devoted followers. Controversial when first released because of the subject matter, the length of time it took to shoot the film, the budget and the many problems encountered during the filming and Marlon Brando's performance today. It is considered one of the greatest movies ever made but has been released in at least three or four different versions as Francis Coppola kept trying to make it perfect. Brian Brown, welcome to my favourite movie. Thanks, mate. When did you first see Apocalypse Now? Saw it in Australia. I saw it just before I went to America. So we're talking about the 70s. When was it When was it released? 1979. I must have seen it in Australia and almost immediately gone to America because I was that. So I probably went over to publicise Breaker Morant or I'd gone over just after, again, after Breaker Morant because uh, I was going to be represented by American agency. So I'd gone in there. Yeah, so I would maybe it was even six months after it had hit the screens all over the world. And I'd just seen it in Australia. But what was really extraordinarily uh, lucky for me was uh, a company um, over there that made movies. John Milius was writing something for them and the, the, this company was interested in me and took me in there to meet Milius and stuff and Milius had written Apocalypse. And through him, I got to meet some of the people that Fred Ruse, who was the producer, who produced a lot of movies for Coppola. And I had to go to San Francisco and Coppola lived in San Francisco along with a lot of his friends and when I went to San Francisco I was invited to this Italian restaurant this night where Francis was cooking for all the people there all his all his friends and whatever and so I was able to um to, to meet him and meet a number of people who worked on that extraordinary movie. What did you want to talk to them about because at that point they probably didn't know who you were could you stop being a bit of a fanboy and did you want to ask them everything about this film? Well it's interesting you know the truth is that Breaker Morant uh had a very, very potent appreciation in America. At the time Breaker Morant came out, the Miley Massacre was being talked about in America, which was uh, about a village that was was shot to pieces. It was a massacre of the people there um, by an American, American troop of people. The captain or it was a captain lieutenant Calais, and he was going on trial, not the powers that be. And Breaker Morant was exactly about that type of story. The workers were the ones that were going to go and get executed. Meanwhile, the powers that be had said how the war should go. And so a number of people in America said to me, well, this was really just a metaphor for the Vietnam War, wasn't it? You know, they had to say, no, mate, this is really one of our own stories. So it came out at incredibly the right time and it really resonated 
with what was going on about Vietnam. Um, so yes, the people in the reason I got invited to these things was because of Breaker. People knew I was this character in Breaker, and they were really interested in Breaker. Bruce Beresford once told me that the reason that everyone saw Breaker Morant in America was not because it was released in a whole lot of cinemas, because it wasn't. It's because it was in-flight movies and everyone flying backwards, all these producers, directors, actors flying backwards and forwards from New York to LA watched that movie in flight on the plane and really were affected by it. That may very well be the truth. It really was one of those movies that the industry over there talked about. Yeah. Because when one of them say, said something about it, we've just disco- we've discovered something, they all want to know about it. That was probably very much the case that they did watch it on those flights. But it was it was very well known within the yeah. industry and within the reviewers throughout America, the big reviewers. So um, so that gave me the opportunity to do to mix with these people that had made Apocalypse and to meet. Um, you know, I think I, I met I met Coppola, but I think it was to say thanks for the spaghetti. <laughs> I can't remember what it would have been about. But I, you know, like I was incredibly taken by that movie when I saw it. And and, and the interesting thing is that I don't see movies. I don't go looking to see a movie twice, three times, or whatever. You know, and there's not many movies I've seen twice. But I remember a couple of times, I remember being at Ron Cobb, the um, the great... Um, Cartoonist. He knew a lot of these people. And he's married to an Australian girl, Robin. And I was at Ron's place one day and I came in in, in the evening or something and Apocalypse was about, or about halfway through. I was just dropping in to do something. Apocalypse was about halfway through. And I stood there and said, look, I've got to go. I remember I didn't go. I just kept standing there. <laughs> I couldn't get away from that. That, that movie and that that happened a couple of times with that movie where I didn't need to be there but but it, it seduced me again incredibly powerful because I, every moment of it is rich in in its seduction mm. when it was first released in the cinemas not only in Australia but in America and around the world as well there were no credits they gave you a special booklet with the credits in it do you remember getting that no don't remember that don't remember that at all I mean uh, no. Yeah. It has been re-released several times. Coppola keeps adding footage. I mean, that original yeah. scene or the scene with the, the French plantation owner was yes. not in the original one. Do you think he's improved no. it as the film goes on? I don't think that movie can lose no matter what it does. I mean, if there's if there's further stuff to be added, because I remember seeing that French thing and it just fitted so well that you know, I couldn't believe it wasn't there in the first time. I'm glad that he went, I've got more material. You know, a lot of the times a movie, it's like, okay, we need, we need to be, it needs to be seen five times in the day for us to get our dough back. So like, you're going to, this is a two hour movie when it could have been two and a half hours. So there's a bit of dictation on there and and reasonably so, because I've seen plenty of movies that should have had half an hour out of them. But there is a bit of dictation about like, no, you can't have a three hour movie. We're only going to get three times in the day, you know, and can't get this dough back. So those, those things come around. And so it's great when a great movie like that, you know if he's going to add something, it's only going to make it better. I, I'm not sure. Did, did Peter Weir add more to Picnic at Hanging? No, well, he took, no, he didn't. He, was, he, he took, took 11 minutes out. out. That's right. Right. That's, in, that's, it. that's interesting. But, you know, that's, you know, like whatever they want to do, these people that, that, that make a great movie, and I love Picnic at Hanging Rock, I'm with them on whatever they want to do because – They've won me because of their, everything to do with their with, with, with their aesthetics and how they've told a story. So if they want to do it, do something to it, 
I'm with them on it. What is it about the movie that you love, though? Is it the performances? Is it those incredible set pieces? Is it the story? Uh, is it uh, you know Brando? Is it Martin Sheen? What is it? Is there or is it all of it? I think you can say all of that, but I think I always felt it was like being in a nightmare, but someone was looking after you. You know, you were going into a place that was dangerous, but it's okay. I'm looking after you. That's what I always felt about that movie. There's so many things in it that, like, the, the one of the, you know, there's so many things in it that stand out. But the thing that, the other thing that stood out to me was that, that bizarre, bizarre moment where they helicopter in the Miss America girls. Playboy bunnies, the yeah. And they, they are there, and, and all those American soldiers are just cheering and whatever. And, you, and quite truthfully, it gives you the opportunity to really just know the height that they're all living on. They're living on a height of I could be dead tomorrow. They're not living how we live day to day. And that gave me that understanding that it's, you know, they had to let something out. And this was it, this moment. And these beautiful girls are dancing. And, and however you want to see it, it was an extraordinary scene. I mean, there's so many extraordinary scenes in it. But yeah. that just, you know, I can right now I can almost see the helicopter going across with the girls in it. So for a film that lasts for three hours, more than three hours these days, there's very little action, war, shooting in it. In fact, mm. you've got those scenes like when the Playboy bunnies arrive and perform for the soldiers. You have the Robert Duval scene where they're clearing the beach so that they can go surfing. You have the French plantation owner scene. So all those things keep Martin Sheen's character, Captain Willard, wondering, hang on, how mad can it be when I get to Marlon Brando when this total madness is happening all around me? How sensational is it when you've got all those heightened, heightened scenes and then you go to this almost still mm. section of it where this big bloke with a bald head, you know, washing his head, dressed in black, and we're now we're now out of the frenzy and we're into something else, but the power still hasn't been lost. It's one of those films where there's such an incredible build-up to a character, you keep getting told about him, that when he mm. finally arrives, he doesn't disappoint. And isn't that, isn't that strange? It could so easily have, but how lucky were they that a person like Marlon Brando existed as an actor and knew exactly what that needed, how to deliver that. The other thing, as you just mentioned, Maine, it is the journey. They're on that boat going up there, up yeah. there, through along that river, through those countries. Where are we getting to? Where are we getting to? Where are we getting to? And yet it's not at the end that we're going to necessarily get all the, the cataclysmic chaos. We're getting it along the way. Yes. And at the end we get to go to where there's stillness and yet that ends up being the most powerful part of the movie. After Breaker Morant then, so after that first time when you go and you meet some of the people involved, Beyond that, when you're a much bigger star, when you've been in movies with Tom Cruise and all sorts of things like that, Sigourney Weaver, when people in Hollywood knew who you were, did you ever meet or work with any of the people involved with the film and you get to talk to them about it? No, but Rachel, my wife, went off and did a movie with Marlon Brando in Madrid or Barcelona. They did two versions of Columbus and um, she went over and did one and she said he was, he was, act he was this sort of sad man and they just spent in between takes her and marlon 
just playing that game where you, you, you it's, 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 it's um, get three in a row or three in a row and you drop things down there and they, and that your little coins have to, you know, get three across or three down. Right. Um, and they just sat there, her and him playing that. And she said he was just in a way, this sort of sad little man. She played um, Queen Isabella and he was Tokamata yeah. in uh, Christopher yeah. Columbus, the discovery. Yeah. You know, like it was interesting to be around uh, that, those characters like Milius you know, I, I sat in the editing room with Milius while he was editing. Um, Arnold did a, an, another big thing with Milius. I can't remember what the name of the character was. And I sat in there while Milius was editing that movie. You know, it was just interesting to be around those blokes and hear, the, hear them talk, really watching them just do their job. And it was quite an amazing time that time too because you were getting great movies, particularly I think the Vietnam War had done it, but Coming Home, you were getting Midnight Cowboy. You were getting these movies that were really earthy, dangerous sorts of movies would an audience take to these movies or would it scare them off and I, and so i landed around uh, hollywood and amongst all that when all those were on you know and i got to spend time with jerry hellman who was the producer of coming home and midnight cowboy and that, they were filmmakers they were filmmakers you know that, did, that tried to do things they didn't know if their things were going to work or not but there was a lot of they, a lot of them a lot of those young people had come out of the same film school or something i think and and uh, wanted to take on a new way of making films, or a, yeah. or, or tell tell the world as they knew it, not as the world that that, that, that others had known it. So it was a pretty exciting time in that late seventies mm-hmm. uh, around with all those place, all those people. Conan the Barbarian was the movie, I think. Conan the Barbarian, that's what it was. So yeah. there were a lot. Yes, coming home. There was the Deer Hunter. There's Apocalypse Now. They're all out in seventy eight, yeah. seventy nine. But also the odd angry shot which was your Vietnam film, one of the first films that you made. That's a Mm. very different movie. That's a comedy, really. Although, I've got to say, the first half of Apocalypse Now is a very, very funny film. It's a comedy as well, in amongst all the the madness and the the violence. Look, you know, when you're talking about those other movies, they're big movies on, and big budget movies in the main too. The Odd Angry Shot basically told how the Australian nature dealt with war you know all young blokes sent over there and like as an adventure but really it was about how the nature of the Australian dealt with pressure and with whatever you know when things are at their worst out comes a joke but a lot of people that saw that uh, overseas a lot of Americans went that's closer to the truth than any of the other movies that have come out it's amazing because in the odd angry shot the most violent scenes are when a spider and a scorpion have a fight (laughs) <laughs> that's the truth that's the truth so yeah. is, is there anything about Apocalypse Now you don't like no nothing nothing from the moment it starts I'm hooked from the moment it starts there's something that says this is going to be great and, and it's interesting because often there's something and it's a little off or it takes a bit awkward to get started on something and you eventually go, oh, you know what? By the end of that movie, I was pulled into it. When Apocalypse starts, it's like, I can't do anything else today. i got to watch this. Are you a film lover? Do you go out of your way to watch as many films as possible? I don't go out of my way, but I do, I do watch a lot. Uh, I like going to the cinema. I've moved away a lot from American cinema, I've noticed, and I'm, I enjoy a lot of Scandinavian stuff these days. I, I just got a bit sick of the American accent over the last few years. I just felt like it was in my face everywhere. And that's, that, you know, that's, that's a pretty bloody cheap 
uh, answer to, to, to what I'm saying, but I just got a little bit, uh, had enough and, and needed to find some other, um, some other uh, nuance or, um, mm. or, or, or ways that stories are told. But like we all grew up on a lot of, a lot of uh, art house movies, you know, Argentinian movies or French movies or Italian movies. Or, they were around uh, at the, that we all got to see in, at, at, at the different small cinemas that existed that mm-hmm. don't really exist anymore around Sydney. i got to ask you this before we go. You made Give My Regards to Broad Street. What was it like working with Paul McCartney? Working with Paul McCartney, I mean, first of all, I get a phone call in, in, in Hawaii. I'm shooting um, Thornbirds with Rachel, and the phone goes about 5.30 in the morning, and I answer it, and this liverpudlian bloke says, this is your early morning call. It's Paul McCartney. And it's like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And no, no, it is Paul McCartney. Like, it's, yeah, like, and then he says, look, mate, he said, I'm making a movie. He said, and I have a manager in this movie, and he said, I'd love you to play the manager. And I said, well, do you have a script or anything? And he said, yeah, yeah, I've got, 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 got some pages of a script. We'll send them over to you. And I said, well, and he was lovely. I said, well, thanks. I remember turning to Rachel and saying, the only way, the, the only way I wouldn't do this if it was the worst movie in the world, then I'd probably have to say, yeah, because it's a Beatle. And so I did go and shoot the movie. And, of course, the other person who was on it was Ringo. Yes. Now, this, this was everything to me about Paul. I arrive in England. I arrive in London. I'm picked up. I'm taken to Notting Hill or somewhere like that by car, to a to a, a big old community centre or big old uh, wooden building there, uh, which was obviously the production office. And I go to the front of the door and down the end is a big table and there's Paul and Linda and the producer and the director and all that and the first assistant there. And Linda sees me back at the door and she nudges Paul and says, there's Brian. Paul gets up walks the length of the hall to me and says, hi, Brian, lovely to meet you. Now, not an assistant, not the producer, but Paul makes that trip along to the water. And I went, this is a really fabulous bloke. That never went away in all the times I was there. But, of course, the, the, the other thing about it was Ringo. And, of course, Ringo, we'd have lunch every day and eventually it got to the stage where I'd say, please don't let Ringo be at lunch today because... <laughs> Every time Ringo would talk, it would be hilarious. You would just fall about laughing. And it got to the stage where I didn't want him to open his mouth because I knew it would hurt so much. And I said to Paul one day, I said, why is Ringo so funny? He said, well, when he was a young kid, he was very, very ill. And they pulled about 13 miles of intestines out of him. He was supposed to die and he didn't die. So every day is a good day to Ringo. What do you think of the film now? I haven't seen it for a long time. I think it's probably a, a, it meant it was meant to be an hour's video mm. on sort of on 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 what on Paul's life, the ins and out with a bit of fantasy done to it. And of course, when the studios heard that he was doing it, they said, "Oh no, no, we want it to be a feature," and they chucked money at it to make it another half hour. But it never had the weight to really be a big movie. All I know is I had a fantastic time being on board that movie. Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about not only Paul McCartney, but Apocalypse Now and all of that. And I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. It's great. Thanks very much, Rod.
Overnights with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio.